life and godliness through the knowledge. Notice the word there again. Through the knowledge of Him. So, I mean, we can, it'd be hard to overestimate uh, how important this knowledge of God is. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So you just open your Bible and there they are. Great and precious promises that by these, by what? By those promises. That's by the word. That's by the knowledge of what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus and through the knowledge of what he has given to us through Christ Jesus. And that's, that's you say, well, that, that's pretty simple. It is. Faith is a simple thing. And basically, it's believing God enough that you act like you believe him. It's just believing him enough that you act like that you believe him. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that good? The divine nature. Would you think there's some good things in the divine nature? Would you think that there's some wisdom there? There's some direction there? Some guidance there? Some protection? Amen. Partakers of the divine nature. You know, God is smarter than all of us put together. You know that, don't you? Do you know that he knows tomorrow better than you remember yesterday? Do you know that he knows where the deals are? Do you know that he knows where, what should be invested in and what should not be invested in? Do you know that God knows all those things? And that's why I say from time to time, and I, I don't mean it to put down education because we're pro-education, but I'm saying this, it's more important to learn to be led by the Spirit of God and to develop a prayer life and a communication with God than it is to have a college degree because God can tell you how to get rich. God can tell you how to, how to have a great family. God can tell you how to take care of your body, and He can do it directly through the Holy Spirit, and you can have the blessings of God, and it can be so supernatural that actually people wonder how in the world did that happen? How did that happen? Praise the Lord. Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there is a corruption that comes when we yield to the strong appetites of the flesh and of the mind and the ego and all of that realm. We have to make sure that we are living out of our spirit, not out of our head or out of our flesh. And so in verse 5, he gets to this uh, list. And I kind of look at this and I compare it to Galatians 5 and I compare it to Paul's list of the fruit of the spirit, really. And this is kind of like Peter's version of it. And he says, beside all, and beside this, giving all diligence. So this means it's not casual. It's not hit and miss. It's not once in a while. It means something we go after diligently. Something that we, uh, we're serious about. He says, add to your faith. Now think about that. Add to your faith. I thought it was just all I needed to do was believe. Not according to the Apostle Peter. I mean, it, it is essential, but it's not sufficient for the kind of life you want. The blessed life you want, the abundant life you want, just believing isn't enough. This, this whole idea that we have come to today in, 
in the church world, in the political world, in, in, uh, in much of Western culture now, this whole idea of, is, you know, I should just have everything. And I shouldn't have to do anything. That's not biblical. And I know that there are people who, they, they string together certain uh, passages of Scripture to try to present a message that basically says that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. But they don't even believe that. They don't believe that. You say, how do you know they don't believe it? Well, because uh, if they're married, they know it matters what you do. And all the men that are married knows it matters what you do. Because marriage is the closest thing to heaven on earth that there is. And it's also and can be, unfortunately, the closest thing to hell on earth there is. And what, what makes the difference between heaven and hell there? What you do. What you do. Including what you say. How many men have found out it's really important what you say and the way you say it, the tone of your voice, and even when you say it? We're in the process of moving, and uh, it's a stressful time. <laughs> so I'm preaching to me, praise the Lord. But it's important. You know, um, how many of you realize that, it, that what you do makes a difference? I mean, somebody who, I mentioned earlier about somebody, they, they got the IRA, they, they max out the 401k, they do all that stuff. And so let's say, let's just put it simply, they're saving money. They have a storehouse. And let's say they start doing that at a very young age, which is very wise to do. And then they get, uh, they get 60 years old. And then they have maybe a friend that they went to school with. They lost touch with them. And then they reunite. They reacquaint. They're at a uh, class reunion or something. They see him. And here's this one guy that, that has been faithful and he has done the right thing. And so he's pretty well off. He can go where he wants to go. He can vacation where he wants to vacation. He can eat in any restaurant he wants to eat in. He drives what he wants to drive. He lives in the house he wants to live in. He, you know, all of those things because he has done some pretty good things. And he meets old Sylvester, you know. He's at the reunion and, and um, he smoked dope most of his life. He never saved anything. Matter of fact, he stole some stuff. He avoided prison, but yet, at 60, he is broke. At 60, he has nothing. Now, I'm not here to put anybody down about anything, because you might be thinking of somebody, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really trying to do that. I'm just trying to prove the point. What you do matters. So... I'm going to say this, and of course it, it, it may, some people, I don't know what you think about it, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but I don't care. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I want to get this right. God is not a socialist. God is not a communist. And uh, 
it does matter what you do. So this whole idea that it really matter, it doesn't matter, we're all going to heaven, it's all going to equal out, everybody has the same result, that's not true. That's not true. And so it's really important that we learn what to add to our faith because there are some things that we need to do that's going to make a difference. Now, I know that there's a whole branch of um, modern-day Christianity, including some in the charismatic world, that they don't, they don't teach this anymore. They avoid certain uh, books of the Bible almost, uh, they don't like First John. They don't like James um, because it doesn't fit the narrative. But if you read the Bible, if you believe the Bible, then not only are we to believe, but we are to be doers. Now, why do we do? To buy salvation? No. Why do we do? So that God will love us? No, He already loves us. But, you know, I've got two kids and seven grandkids, and I can tell you that you can love somebody but not approve of what they do. If you've, anybody with kids have had that, and whether they're, even if they're just three years old or five years old or eight years old, just because you're not pleased with what they do doesn't mean you don't love them. But if you are a good parent, what it does mean is there might be some things that you cannot let them do or let them have because rather than helping them, it's going to spoil them. And so God is a better parent than any of us. And therefore, there are, there's just a way of life that he recommends and that really he requires. And so Peter describes it this way. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue which means excellence. Add, and to virtue, knowledge. They're, man, he's really big on this, isn't he? And to knowledge, temperance, or self-control. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness, or holiness. Godliness, being like God. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, the, the Greek word there is Philadelphia. It, it is, it's, what it, it's exactly what it says, brotherly love, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, notice, if they're in you and abound, so I want them abounding. How about you? I want plenty of these things. They make you that you sh ye shall... Neither be barren nor unfruitful in the what? There's that word again. Knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So he's saying in King James English here, what we're reading is, if you don't uh, develop these things, if you don't add these things to your, your faith, then you're going to basically end up living like you never did get saved. You're going to live like somebody who's forgotten that they were born again. And we've all seen that happen to people. We've all seen that happen to people. They, they get truly born again. They truly come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't grow in God. They don't go on with God. And they don't add to their faith those things that they need to add. They don't do the word. They're not seeking the knowledge of God. They don't develop their relationship with God. And what happens? 
eventually they end up in a situation where they're living like they never did even know the Lord. And that is not what God wants for us because that's not the way that we get blessed. So let's look at this list for just a few minutes before we go tonight uh, and, and look at what we need to add. Notice, if I'm, gonna, if I'm required to add these things, then I must be able to do so. God would never unjustly ask us to do something we can't do. So all of these things are deposited within me. What Peter's really saying here is, work it out. Get it out. Do something with what God has given you. So the first thing we add to our faith is virtue. And if you look up the word, it is excellence. Obviously moral excellence, but more than that, it is excellence. We are to excel. If there's anybody on the planet that ought to do things well, do things right, and do things successfully, it should be believers. You know, there are a lot of people, they just don't want to hear that. I mean, they don't want to even go to a church where somebody's going to teach that because there are a lot of people that are just flat lazy. And they want somebody else to get everything for them, somebody else to pray everything down upon them, somebody else to do all the work. Even in church, they just want somebody else to do everything. Somebody ought to make the music happen. Somebody ought to clean the place. Somebody ought to do that. Somebody ought to do this. Somebody ought to do that. I could not tell you over these many years of ministry how many, quote, suggestions I've gotten about what's needed. But I'm going to tell you, in comparison to the suggestions... It's relatively few people that say, that's what I see that's needed. And if you want, and if you will, and if we can, I'll make that happen. Uh -huh. Boy, I tell you, those make it happen people, they're rare, but they're marvelous. And I want to be one of those. You know, I can't, there's lots of stuff I can't do and lots of things I don't know. But I want to be a make it happen person in my world and what I'm, I'm supposed to do. And so excellence, you should have excellence as a believer on your job. And listen, when you're going to tell people about your faith, we talk about witnessing, sharing your faith, and all that's great. But for goodness sake, don't talk about uh, how that people need the Lord and you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you need to be saved and all that, and this, that, and the other. And then an hour later, you're griping, fussing, cussing, and going on about what's happening at work. You ought, to, you, ought to be a, you ought to be the best employee they got. You ought to do whatever you do as unto the Lord, and people should look at you and say, there's an example of excellence. And that's what a Christian is, then I'm interested in that. But there are a lot of people out there that they would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but nobody wants what they got because they're griping all the time, complaining all the time. They're fudging all the time. They're stealing all the time. You say stealing. You know, if you're stealing time, you're stealing, whether it's time or, or ink pens or uh, gasoline or whatever it may be. Amen. Amen. This church should produce the best, most excellent employees, wherever you work, whatever you do, we should, we should produce the very best. People should want to know, where do you go to church? What is it you do? They should get hungry for God by watching us live a life of excellence. Amen. So add to your faith excellence. You see, isn't it funny that you would think maybe that, that an apostle would say, you know, add to your faith uh, fasting. Add to your faith 
praying an hour every day. Add to your faith giving 20% of your income, not just the tithe, 10%. Add to your faith going to church twice as much as you normally do. But that's not what he mentioned. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things I just said. But, But he said, add to your faith, first of all, excellence. And to excellence or to virtue, knowledge. There is no premium in the kingdom on ignorance. And every believer has the ability to to know God and to know about God. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, Ephesians chapter 1, is available to every Christian. Anything you don't know about, that you're, 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 maybe you're troubled about it or you're just wondering about it or whatever that has to do with Scripture, that has to do with God, that has to do with the kingdom of God, that has to do with eternal truths, that has to do with the supernatural realm, that information is available to you. That information is available to you through the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. So that's why we need to cultivate this relationship with the Holy Spirit whereby we are, we are blessed by Him with revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge is the key to your faith expanding. You really don't believe for, for anything past what you are sure of to be the will of God. So when I say revelation knowledge, that's what I'm talking about. That, that's something that you see that you didn't see before. I know that's been true for me in a number of areas, but two powerful areas for me is the area of financial prosperity and number two, the area of divine healing and health. Because I, I did not always have the revelation of, of this, these two things that I have now, and I don't have all I'm going to have now, but I'm way far ahead of where I used to be. And what I have learned over walking with the Lord these many years is that the bigger the problem the greater the opposition, the bigger the mountain, usually means you're going to need a greater level of faith, a greater strength of faith. Where does that come from? That comes from revelation knowledge of the Word of God. So that's why almost every night of my life I'm going to bed listening to somebody preach. Now, you, you know, you, you do what works for you. But then when I wake up in the morning, one of the first things I do normally is that I begin to communicate with God. And I get to the Word of God. And there are things that I, I want to confess before Him based on Scripture. There are Scriptures that I quote. And I mentioned to you Sunday about your, uh, your list, that your laughing list. Then there are things I laugh about. Amen. Uh, at destruction and famine, Job said in five-something, 522, at destruction and famine... We shall laugh. So it might be something that's bad that the devil is trying to do to you. Or it may be just something that's, that's not necessarily bad, but you just don't need to put up with it. So learn to laugh at debt. Learn to laugh at pain. Learn to laugh at sickness and disease. You'll say, well, I don't feel like it. That's the whole point. Ha-ha, yeah, that's the point. Because... If you shut your mouth and sit there with a frown on your face and worry in your mind, I can tell you the devil's going to observe you as he's been doing for thousands of years, observing human beings. And he's going he's to take by your silence that he's winning. You have to let him know that you know. 
You have to let him know that this is not going to be this way in my life. It will not happen. It shall not be. This will not stand. Satan, you must cease and desist immediately. I bring to you a word from God Almighty in heaven, that one that defeated you 2,000 years ago in the depths of hell. You've been defeated and you are totally annihilated as far as God is concerned. You are nothing. And therefore, in Jesus' name, you stay under my feet and stop your operations against me you got to learn to talk to the devil. you got to learn to, to, to let him know what you know. We're talking about adding to, your, your, to virtue knowledge. How do we know what you know? When you open your mouth. <laughs> I could make some wisecracks there, but I'm not going to. How do we know what you know? When you tell us. How will the devil know? What you know about revelation truth from the Word of God, when you tell Him. When you tell Him. And I can tell you, and you've heard me say this many times, but it's true. This is one of the hardest things that I've ever found as a minister to get people to do. Is to shut off the unbelief, shut off the negativity, shut off the fear, shut off the laundry list of symptoms and all the stuff the doctor said and all this, that, and the other, to shut all that down and say what God says. This is one of the most difficult things I've ever found in my ministry life to ever get people to consistently do. But it is one of the most important things you'll ever do to walk in the blessing of God. And so that confession is based on knowledge. So to our faith we add Excellence to excellence, we add knowledge. Verse 6 into knowledge, temperance, self control. We don't let our body rule us, we don't let our body reign over us. Somebody said, Well, can I do this and go to heaven? Can I do that and go to heaven? How, 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 how mean can I be and still go to heaven? And it's almost like they're walking out here on the edge, you know. And it's just, you know, how close can I get? How, how, how far can I go before I fall off? You know, when I was much younger, it's easier to do. Now that you get a little older, sometimes I'll go somewhere and I'll park near a curb, and I just on purpose, I'll try to walk on that curb. It doesn't work as well at 65 as it did to 25. But people kind of do that. It's kind of like they're, they're, they're right on that edge. I want to see how close I can get and not go to hell. That's not the way to live a successful Christian life. The way to live a successful Christian life is to say, I'm going to control my appetites. I'm going to control my body. I'm going to control what I watch, what I see, what I listen to, what I put into me. And I'm not going to become a slave to any of those things. Temperance. Temperance. Amen. You know, I know me. Like you know you. I know me. And, uh, you know, I, I don't need to touch alcohol. I don't need to touch uh, cigarettes. Because I'd be running around with, with a beer and a cigarette all the, all the time, you know. I, I, that's what I would do if I, if I let my flesh do that. And I know you're laughing about that. But what would you do if I showed up here Sunday morning? And I, right in the middle of my message, I open up my coat. And here is like I used to see my pastors long ago. And there's a big uh, lucky strike or camel shining through the white shirt. 
They always wore those thin, cheap shirts, and you could, you could see whether it was Camel, Lucky Strike, or what, Winston, whatever. And then I just pulled one out, stuck it in my mouth, and hold on. You say, does that really happen at your... I'm telling you, God is my eternal witness. We used to go, Glenn and I used to go to church and we were dating and her pastor would go out while people would sing specials and he would smoke cigarettes on the porch of the church. And I think he felt a little guilty about it because he would explain that what he was doing was, he said, you've got to satisfy this natural man. He never preached about crucifying him. He never preached about crucifying the flesh. He's, he, he taught satisfy the natural man. You say, what happened to him? Well, he smoked and smoked till he got till he couldn't breathe and he got sick and he died. All smokers quit, by the way. At some point, they all quit. Anyway, I'm, I'm uh, digressing. But, you know, I know me. So I, I don't, uh, there's certain things I just, I just don't touch. You say, well, can you do this and go to heaven? If, am I lost if I do that? Listen, if you're having to ask somebody... You're in trouble. If your flesh is so hungry to do something that's unnecessary, unneedful, probably damaging and harmful to you, if your flesh is so hungry for that, you better get, some, you better get a grip on that. And every believer has in them the fruit of temperance or self-control. That doesn't mean that we're on our own. That doesn't mean we don't have any help. But what it means is we have to make a choice. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, endurance. A lot of people would really be successful if they just didn't quit so often. You know, endurance, it's, it's, it's all through life. You know, it's very difficult to become really prosperous if about every 12 years... You trade in your wife for another one, and you have to give up half of your goods. <laughs> there comes a point, if you stay married long enough, that you have such an investment that there's no way. <laughs> there's just no way. <laughs> give up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And you can go out there and ask Glenn, and she'd tell you the same thing. You know, we got 47 years invested in each other. It's, it's a little late now. You know. But, but patience, endurance. Endurance. You say, well, you know, I'm, I know I'm kind of joking around, but, uh, but life has so many aspects of endurance that's so necessary to just stay with it. I can't tell you how many preachers over the years, and you know, like I said, when you get older, you get a little different perspective. And I, I, I you know, I don't want to be always talking about, you know, how old I am and what I've seen and all that stuff. I know people get tired of hearing that. But there's so many lessons you learn. And one of the lessons I've seen in ministry is a lot of preachers never have the degree of success they could have because they just never stay one place doing one thing long enough to get there. Everybody wants overnight success. Everybody wants quick fix. Everybody wants to have all the blessings that you have, but they don't want to do what you've done. 
Learn endurance. Learn endurance. I'm not saying you have to stay with something that's not from God, that's not in the will of God. I'm not saying you have to stay in a dead-end job, that you have to stay always doing something you don't like doing. But I'm saying don't be a quitter. Don't quit at the first wave of opposition because, trust me, it's coming. No matter how called you are, how good you are, how patient you are in other areas of life, there will be something in your life that will require endurance. And it's a, it's a virtue from God. Amen. And to patience, godliness. And that's holiness. Holiness. You know, we live in a world where, where that's, not a, that's not a popular subject. We live in a world where probably, almost certainly... Any child in this church over 10 years of age, and some maybe even younger, have already probably seen more uh, questionable, sexually explicit type uh, images and heard phrases and words more than some of us probably heard when we were 21 years old. The world we live in has changed from what it used to be. And holiness is something that people just don't seem to want. But God is holy. God is holy. And uh, I'm going to say this because it's, it's, it's true. God's not, God really doesn't care whether you're hot or not. And I'm not talking about the air conditioner. God is not all into what color your hair is, or if you have it. Uh, he's, he's not all into your image. God is into you being like Him. Holy. Holy. I'm thinking about a 96-year-old lady down in Alexandria, Louisiana, whose husband pastored a church there that's still going today couple thousand people or more probably. 96 years old, and uh, I met her. Glenn and I met her when we were in Alexandria down at uh, Mark Hankins' ministry. We were there for a meeting. And so we were out for lunch, out to lunch one day, and uh, I knew who she was because I'd seen their uh, videos because they have some marvelous music, marvelous music. And so I'd seen their videos, and uh, I saw her, and I knew who she was. So I just, something I don't normally do, but I just kind of introduced myself. And just, I just wanted to commend her. And at that time, she was probably 90 years old, 91. And, and she just grabbed Glenna and me and hugged us and started praying for us. Right in the restaurant. She didn't care. Now, she and I would disagree on some doctrinal issues. She's a oneness Pentecostal. That's not what I am and who I am. But they believe in holiness. And so, yes, she had a lot of hair on her head, and she had on a dress, no slacks. And I don't think you have to do that to be holy or to, even to please God. But that was, that's her conviction. So I was just impressed with, the, with her spirit. And so the other day, just come up on my YouTube feed was a message she preached. And I thought, well, she's still, she's still going. And so I watched some. 
96 years of age, still preaching. I mean, not stumbling around, not, not stuttering. Not, I mean, there was no stick, no cane, no walker. 96 years of age, standing up there preaching the Word of God. And, and I know there are other factors. I know there are other factors, and there are other important factors. But I can tell you one of the things that causes that to happen to a person is holiness. That your life, your body, your mind, and your spirit are not tainted and polluted by the mess and the sin and the foul uncleanness that's in this world. It's a job, but it's so important. Peter said, add to your faith holiness, godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And those are the last two on the list. I'll just take this and we've got to go. Notice he differentiated between brotherly love and love. Because there is the whole aspect that's necessary in the body of Christ to form relationships. Brotherly love is important. God created the church as a body. And a body is interconnected. My toe is not my ear. But both are part of one body. And they are interconnected, if you will, as a part of my body. And so no person in the church was created to function optimally without a connection to the body of Christ. That's why God set in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and so on and so forth. And this is all very important because we need that connection. The woman with the issue of blood, we're talking about her on Sunday mornings in Mark chapter 5. She needed to touch Jesus. That's where her faith took her. She didn't just stay home and say, well, if it's God's will, in his own good time, in his own good way, if Jesus wants me healed, he'll come by. No, she went where the power was. And so we need this connection, and we need each other. We need people. None of us are perfect. So we need to let iron sharpen iron and come together, and we need to forge relationships. We need brotherly kindness. And I think you could, I think you could see that would include sisterly kindness. Amen. And then love, just love in general, which is, of course, doing what's best. Doing what's best for someone else, even if it costs me. That's what love is. Love is not taking, love is giving. For God so loved that he gave. And so if you're not giving, if you're not connecting, if you're not walking in holiness, if, if, if you're not adding to your faith these aspects that Peter talked about, then he said there's a good chance, and I mean he didn't say it in these words, but I'm saying this, there's a good chance that you're going to end up living your life Basically, like you don't even know the Lord. People wouldn't even know you're saved. But we're called to come out from among the world and be separate. Not as holier than thou bigots, but as people that reflect Jesus to the world we're in. Father, we thank you and we praise you tonight for speaking to our hearts, teaching us, helping us, encouraging us. Lord, none of us have arrived. I don't preach this and teach this tonight from the standpoint of saying that I perfected all these things. I've got lots of work to do. 
But this is your word to us. This is what you're saying to us. Some things need to, need to be added to our faith. It's not just an issue of believing only. It's a, it's a believing and acting on what we believe. So we ask you tonight, Lord, show us where we can improve. Show us where we can make some additions, what we need to add to our faith. Maybe we're strong in some of these areas, but maybe lacking in some others. Lord, help us to have all that you made available to be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus.